You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 85. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. And as always, it's an honor and a privilege to have you for the next 30 minutes or so. How is it going out there? Middle of February is already upon us, firmly entrenched into your semester, whether you're middle or high school or college, you could be in your master's, PhD, I don't know where you're at, but wherever you are, you clearly are looking for ways to up-level yourself because you're continuously listening to this show. I have to appreciate all the feedback I got um, over the last few episodes, but specifically, let me get that word out correctly, specifically around the victim or creator. It really opened up a lot of your eyes and your minds and your feelings around how you are picturing yourself in your life, how you're showing up for others in their lives. And that can be on the protagonist or antagonist stage because you could be showing up as the bully or the hero and now that you realize that there is the creator or the challenger, I really hope that you're setting the intention to pay attention to showing up in people's lives as a coach or seeking out ways to challenge those in a heart-centered way that encourages them to evolve into the person that you know they can become. We live in a society that seems to be hell-bent on the disempowerment dynamic, where everything's a problem, everything needs to be situated, where there is a right and the wrong, there is somebody who is absolutely blind to your reality or the reality of the consensus, and therefore they are clearly the victim or they are now the bully and No one can possibly do anything without the hero stepping in. I'm not sure if it's the politics here in the States. I certainly have lots of European listeners as well, and I'm paying attention to your politics about as much as I pay attention to my own, which is minimal. But I see headlines, and you know, if some story passes across that seems to really shake things up, I'll give it a quick read. But overall, I I tend to stay away from reading too much about what the politicians do. They're in office. I've chosen my people. I have not chosen other people just like you. Maybe your people won. Maybe they didn't. But either way, the real change happens in the local level. And that's really where you should probably be paying attention first and foremost. Not just what you can do within your own community, but the people who are running the community, you know, the city managers and the city planners and the city council. And those are the ones that are passing the stuff that really starts to affect you down at the surface level. Everything else that happens in DC or wherever your capital is, that's very bird's eye view. And it would be, 
I'm not going to go as far as to say it's a, it would be a waste of time to pay attention too much to what they're doing, because there's certainly some of that information that will be necessary when it comes time to make my decisions again in two years. But at some point, it's like you're going to get all riled up about what's going on. And unless you're willing to take to the street or start up your own organization or become an influential leader yourself in whatever way that looks, then you're really just sitting back either bullying other people who don't believe the way you believe or falling victim because other people are in power who don't believe the way you believe. And I have no time in my life to be a bully or a victim. And I sure as hell don't want a hero. So how are you showing up in your life as a creator? How are you showing up as a coach for someone else or challenging? So that deep down inside, you know that you can be a force for good. That's where I like to find my strength to move forward each and every day. What can I do to help? What can I do to be of service? Right? There's two different podcasts I run. One is from Sobriety to Recovery, where I help people overcome their addictions and seek out their better, more empowered self. And then there's the college one, College Success Habits, the one you're listening to now. When this first got launched, people would say, well, why are you launching a college when you already have the sobriety one? I'm like, well, the sobriety one helps today's addicts. I'd hope to reach and plan to reach and have reached tomorrow's addicts before they become addicts to keep you from becoming an addict. Because there's so much opportunity to step into a disempowered state, a disempowered sense of self when you're in high school or you're in college and you start to create these habits that you don't even realize one day will give you your comeuppance, as my grandma used to say. At some point, you'll have to answer to them. And it's super easy to think, no, that won't happen to me. I'm in complete control. Everything is fine. Whatever your situation might be, with or without major sources of trauma or suffering, you could have had a pretty darn good childhood. My dad, who was a 30-year drug and alcohol abuse counselor in Plano, Texas, his clients were generally the children of high-income, high-net-worth earners, people who were insanely rich, 5,000-square-foot homes and credit cards when they were 10. Addiction ran rampant through their community, whether it was because their parents were working all the time and not paying attention to them, or whether they were just born with a silver spoon in their mouth and assumed that they could do no wrong. Whatever the hypothetical circumstance I could come up for why, because he certainly gave me plenty of reasons why, and there could be just as equally reasons why you didn't, or why you did, or why your friends did, or why your friends didn't. But addiction comes to everyone. At some point, you are offered the opportunity to go down that path. Some people choose the addiction route. Some people don't. The beauty is that it's always a choice. In neurolinguistic programming, of which I'm now a master practitioner and a trainer, and the course that I'll be launching soon called Wise Mind Empowerment is very much for those who want to start to seek out ways to become a more empowered sense of themselves, to understand how you process the world around you, how your words 
don't describe your reality. They create your reality. Because at some point, we're all offered opportunities to become disempowered in a lesser sense of ourselves. Those appear in so many ways in high school and college. Something that sticks out to me that I consistently seem to be circling back to in a lot of these episodes and in my speeches and things of that nature is that it's the social dynamic, our social awareness, which is the third of the four different components of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management being the four. It's that social component that most often is the instigator for us to go down a certain path. Our desire to be included within the tribe that we have chosen. Or we're not being chosen by any tribes, so we're looking for any tribe that will take us. And the easiest tribe to join is the addictive one. The addiction social circle will take damn near everyone. And if one particular addiction social circle won't take you, just go find another one you will eventually find that social circle that will take you if addictive substances are involved. You might start off with a little bit of cigarettes and a little bit of nicotine and turn this whole thing into basketball diaries and now you're shooting up in the bathroom. Like One way or another, you'll find your clan. Now, we don't want any of that. All right? I mean, nicotine, yeah, we get the cancer aspect of it. Caffeine, we get. Not the best. Don't want to jack yourself up full of that stuff. But more socially acceptable than the others because, you know, you're not smoking it or it's not going to get you intoxicated to the point where you can't drive a car. It does have some adversely negative aspects to it if it's consumed in copious amounts. But for the most part, relatively fine. Hell, energy drinks were all the rage there for a little while. So there's always something that we can find ourselves getting more into than we would prefer. Sugar is by far and away the most addictive substance on this planet. I say all that because when we go and we start to look at the social circles that you have decided that you want to be a part of, be on the lookout for what it is about you that is attracting them to you. Are they heart-centered? Are they heartfelt? Do they desire you in the tribe, in the social circle? Because for, I'm I'm trying to come up with a good way of saying this without sounding too nefarious, but it's like, do they genuinely want you for you? Or is there something you can bring to them that they can just use you for in order to achieve? I get why certain people with socioeconomic backgrounds tend to cluster together. Because if you are born on the wrong side of the tracks and you're hanging out with somebody born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they want to hop in their new Beamer and go to fancy restaurants or go shopping, you might feel a little left out if you're wearing non-named brand stuff. And whenever they go to these restaurants, you're sitting there looking at the cheapest salad possible. They live a lifestyle that is outside of the means of, of many. Just like those who have been born with a little bit more of a rough background might think that those who were born with a relatively easy background aren't aren't as street smart, aren't as tough driven, can't handle it whenever the chips are down. Because we understand, having listened to 84 previous episodes of this show, 
that every human has different attributes to them that you can't even possibly understand. Even if they really are truthful and honest and heart-centered with you, they still don't even, they don't know what they don't know to tell you about themselves. So even when you think you can just make a blanket decision or judgment upon someone, very rarely are you ever getting all the data you possibly could to really make an educated guess about who that person really deep down is. I've been teaching one of my Wise Mind Empowerment courses, and once it's through Beta Run, I'll be offering it to y'all, and I would love to have so many of you join. I really think that it expands your awareness of the world around you. And one of the things I love teaching about this is the structure of reality section, where we talk about everything that we experience in life comes through our five senses, touch, taste, sight, sound, smell. And the world, and let me finish this sentence, the world batters us with 2.3 million bits of data a second. Now I know you're thinking, Jesse, that's, first of all, that's a lot, 2.3 million bits of data. But now I'm presupposing that you understand what a bit of data is and that you'll even trust the number 2.3 million. There was a book called Flow. Can't name the author off the top of my head. But in the NLP world, this book is referenced many times. In psychology, this is referenced often. Because when he wrote this book, he somehow equated how much information our brain has to process on any given second as 2.3 million bits of data. Now, what does he consider a bit? I would just, let's just assume any singular piece of information about anything that's around you in the moment. And you're getting 2.3 million bits of this thrown at you every single second. And of those 2.3 million bits, your conscious mind can only take 126 of those in. 126 bits of 2.3 million. That'd be like me walking up to you with... 2.3 million paper clips and pouring those over your head and every single second expecting you to yank out 126, box it up, set it to the side. Here comes 2.3 million. Here comes 2.3 million, 2.3 million. It it probably takes me a second just to say 2.3 million. So every single time I say 2.3 million, you have now been expected to pull out 126 paper clips. And of these 126 paper clips that you pull out, Do you necessarily know if you're picking out the right ones? This is where understanding the world around you and being more aware of what's going on and your place in it and realizing that your point of view, your model of the world, isn't the bar for which the rest of the world must set themselves upon. How you see things is not, by any stretch of the imagination, the way that everybody else in this world should see things. Because you have experienced your own version of 2.3 million bits of data every single second of your life since that first breath in your umbilical cord was cut. So why on earth anyone has the audacity to get on television or get on social media, get on the interwebs or the Facebook or the Instagram or the TikToks and tell people that their way is the highway and if you're not driving down their road, then you're a dumbass is beyond me. For for the life of me, I cannot figure that out. Now, I am not oblivious to the hypocritical nature of what I just said, that it's beyond me why anyone would think that. The, The irony is not left on me. 
Because before I got quote unquote awoke, <laughs> right? Before I got sober, before I pulled my head out of my ass, I absolutely thought it was my way or the highway. I was like, man, but the way I'm living life is perfect. Everybody should live the way I live. Hell, even when I got sober, I would get upset with people in meetings I attended because they'd be sitting over there circling the drain of their unhappiness, circling the drain of, oh, whoa, it's me. My life isn't perfect. I got sober and things aren't better. I got the promotion and things aren't better. I had a child and things aren't better. I got the new pair of shoes and life isn't grand. I got a watch and now I don't even care about the watch. I got new cologne and it doesn't even matter anymore. Hedonistic adaptation declares that anything that we have coveted and decided we wanted for a long enough period of time that once we get it at some point, the love affair for that item will fade away. It's called hedonistic adaptation. It is just the human experience of at some point just getting used to things being in your life. This is how you might see a celebrity cheat on their celebrity husband or wife or spouse, partner, whatever, and you're like, wow, how on earth could you know, Brad Pitt cheat on Angelina Jolie or how could Richard Gere leave Cindy Crawford or how could, you know, this person leave that person, you know, how could Ryan Reynolds and Scarlett Johansson not make it work? It's like, man, at some point we all just sort of get used to the things in our life. You want to, you want a brand new car for so long. You want to go to that college for so long. Oh, oh, I got to go to this college. It's my first college. It's everything. I'm going to do this. And my, my, my resume to get into this college is going to be a mile long. I'm going to do all this volunteer work. I'm going to look like such an amazing person. And then you get to that college and like a year in, it's just the college you go to. The novelty's worn off. Now it's just a place that you got to drag your ass out of bed, possibly with a hangover, probably definitely exhausted and tired because you didn't get enough sleep the night before, not prepared for class or over-prepared for class, but either way, you're just exhausted, you're stressed out, you're full of anxiety, and now it's just your life. You go back to that day you first found that you got into that college and grab out that emotion and bring it back each and every day, and perhaps the novelty would come back. But again, it's just part of the human experience to at some point just let the exuberance we felt when we first got something fade away. This is why people who spend their money on external items go shopping when they're sad. It might give you that dopamine hit while you're running the credit card. You get to come home, you get to put it on, maybe you get to wear it that first one or two times. At some point, that new pair of shoes, that that new dress, that new dress shirt, that new tie, that new whatever, it just becomes another part of your wardrobe. And a year later, it just becomes that, oh, damn, I haven't worn that in a year. When you start to think about the social circles that you join, and you start to ask yourself, what is it that they desire from me? This hedonistic adaptation that I just referenced, this novelty of it, it could wear off too, and it does. And so if you're on the outside looking into a really cool social circle and all you want is in, at some point, even if you get in, it will just become your life. And if all they desire from you is something external and they're not heart-centered and they're just going to use you, then you're either the people-pleasing victim 
or you're the hero to them, or you're just the person that they get to bully because they know you want in there so bad you won't do anything to stand up for yourself. An idea for a book or a program or something geared specifically towards the high school college community is, and this is a working title, it's Be Yourself, Start Your Own Tribe. Stop looking for other people to let you and invite you in and just have your own. If there's one thing I can really look back and take from my first three years at Ball State University, it's thinking back to the, I mean, I only remember a very few people from my first year in that dorm, Painter Hall. And it's mostly just girl names because I joined a fraternity, so I really wasn't friends with any of the guys all that much. Um, but just friends with the girls, and they were on the third and the fifth floor, and I was on the fourth floor. And I definitely remember some of those girls. And we were all, it was like a health floor, right? You know, like floors one through uh, four were the health floors. So those are the people who like wanted to eat healthier and wanted to be active. Like there was a gym on our floor. It was literally right next door to my, my dorm room. And we all seemed to just a little nerdy, just a little nerdy. All the people who didn't want to be on the health floors, who were on the fifth floor and above, you could smoke cigarettes in those rooms back then. This was the 90s, mind you. So those are the people I'd say were probably a little cooler, have a little bit more fun, at least in my eyes back then. The thing is, is that of the three girls' names I can name off, I'm friends with two of them on Facebook. One's my best friend, has been since college, always will be. The rest of the people, whoever I was trying to, you know, look cool in front of and say the coolest thing in front of and, and be the coolest person in front of, they aren't even around anymore. They don't even matter. Not in a negative way. Not in a, I hope their life turned out to be shit way. No, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm just saying, like, they're just whoever they are. My fraternity brothers, yeah, there's about five, seven of them I keep up with on a texting thread. I consider my boys. We go to fish shows and we see each other. I mean, pre-pandemic, it was at least once or once every year or two, we'd all get together. The rest of them, yeah, it's just casual. I'm in a fantasy football with some of them. The other ones I just see on Facebook here and there, Instagram. But it's not like I'm paying attention. If you ask me what their the, the, the name of their wife or how many kids they have, there ain't no way I'm answering that. But these are the people who are frothing at the mouth in front of to be cool, to feel cool, to seem cool when we're out there in college. And I know at some point I just become the old fuddy-duddy saying a bunch of, well, in my day, it was like this. I mean, I that's not my intention here. If, there, if there's an intention at all when I say these kind of things about hedonistic adapt- adaptation or creating your own tribe or being mindful of the addictive substances that can come down the path and how you might fall prey to them because, let's face it, there's just a little bit less self-awareness at a certain age. So, right, you just think you're just hanging out and you feel cool and you're always getting invited to the cool parties and everyone's happy when you show up. And before you know it, that behavior just becomes what you do, just becomes the normal thing. Then all of a sudden, that school you were chomping at the bit to go to becomes less important than the people you're trying to hang out with and impress. And these are people that will have very little to do with your life a year, five, ten after you graduate college. I'm not friends with anyone I went to school with at University of Florida. 
that actually went to, to and took classes in Weimar Hall where the College of Journalism was. None of them. I was always friends with everybody I worked with at the restaurants. And even them, some of the best friends. I, mean, I had hundreds of people I could hang out with. If I threw a party, 100 people would show up. If I was going to be at a party, 100 people would be there and they'd all know my name. Because we all worked at, you know, Chili's and Outback and TGI Fridays and Bonefish and, you know, Bennigan's. And I mean, these were the places in Gainesville. This is where Butler Plaza was. And this is where everybody came to eat out. And this is where all those servers and bartenders, we all hung out after work. We'd all go to the Gumby's, this place that served pizzas on one half of it and was this tiny little crap ass bar on the other half. We all went there. These are people, every time I see them, hey, what's up? High fives. Thought they'd be friends for life. I left in 2007. I don't think I barely talked to any of them. I, if I hadn't been for Facebook, I wouldn't have kept up with a damn none of them. And it's, then they just kept falling away. And before you know it, by like 2012, 13, I was barely talking to anyone. Getting sober has certainly helped. And I'm starting to bring them back in because I really did love a lot of those people. But a lot of them are, you know, two, three, four kids deep now. They don't have time for a bachelor who is still living his life and, and, you know, out here in Southern California with the podcasts and the life coaching and the sobriety and all that stuff. They get their own thing going on, right? They get their own life. You'll have your own life too. It is not unusual to just watch people fade away. It's not even something to be sad or worried about. It's just a natural part of life. Unless you go back to the same small town you went to high school in, right? If you go off and you leave and you go to a city where you don't know a ton of people and there's not a lot of people from your college, then the likelihood that you'll be hanging out with a lot of those people, it goes away because you're not going to be traveling back to your high school town five times a year, going back to your college town five times a year. People just sort of disperse. Even the people I know who stayed in Florida, and they, there might be five or six of them who all live within like a Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville area. I'll talk to them like, oh yeah, you know, I haven't seen that person in six months. They live like 11 miles away. <laughs> the reason why I, this episode turned into that is because I really wanted to go into that structure of reality with the 2.3 million bits of data and the 126 that you keep and how your point of view isn't the end-all, be-all point of view. Going back to the way people are yelling at each other on social media and getting upset with each other. Your 2.3 million bits isn't the same as any of your friends. The 126 that you hold on to isn't going to be the same as any of your friends. The filtration system that we, that our brain unconsciously uses in order to get from 2.3 million to 126 is delete, distort, and generalize. Now there's some sub-filters like time and environment, attitudes, beliefs, opinions, decisions, memories, values. These, these are the filters that delete, distort, generalize, pushes everything through to ultimately give you the 126. But the primary, what, what's always going to be happening inside your brain is that you're either deleting, distorting, or generalizing all of the data that's coming at you. And yes, it's going to be filtered through the values, beliefs, decisions, memories, right? Those, those are the meta ones. Those are, those, those are the specific filters. But the top three that it's going to go through, delete, distort, generalize, right? It goes through the, the, let's say, values, and then it gets deleted, distorted, or generalized. Like it's going to, it goes through your memories and gets deleted, distorted, or generalized. 
This is just the way that the unconscious mind processes information to give you the 126. Knowing that your brain is in a constant state of deleting, distorting, or generalizing 2.3 million bits of data to give you the 126 gives you permission to start opening up your mind and cultivating that growth mindset, developing that growth mindset to realize that your world is not the end-all be-all. It is not the bar for which the rest of the planet must set itself upon. Just because somebody voted Republican doesn't mean that they necessarily believe every single Republican ideology that you've ever heard on the news. Just because someone votes Democrat does not mean that they believe in every single person who identifies as a Democrat. I vote the way I vote, but I do not identify with any of the parties because none of them can possibly begin to quantify all the values and beliefs that I hold dear. I can take little pieces from both. Hell, there's some libertarian and some Green Party stuff that I'm definitely down with. The point is, if you hang your hat on somebody else's platform, if you hang your hat on somebody else's label of who they are, do you not think at some point you're just going to be trying to stuff yourself into a box that you don't even want to be in? If you're trying to force yourself to, to, to be a Democrat or a Republican, and therefore you have to always agree with everything someone who identifies with that party as a politician says, you might ultimately end up agreeing with some stuff you do not believe in. You do not have to always condone or believe what comes out of a politician's mouth any more than you have to always believe what comes out of a teacher or a preacher or your mom or your dad's or your siblings or your friends your mentor you do not have to believe everything they say it is up to you to choose what you are going to believe it's up to you to choose who you are going to be this is not at all what the podcast episode was supposed to be about but somehow this is what it turned into. And I think one of the reasons why this is swirling around so much and, and that I've covered what I have in this episode is because I've been around a, a young man who recently turned 18 and he's getting ready to go off and be in the military and he's super pumped about that. And I'm noticing the way he operates in the world where he seems to be in a constant state of boredom. And I've heard the saying that bored people are boring people. And I'm not necessarily sure he's boring. I've found myself to find some of our conversations very unique and interesting. But if you're in this constant state of feeling like you should be entertained, as if the world is this stage that you should just keep rolling out dancing bears and, and symbol playing monkeys for your entertainment, Man, you are going to have a rude awakening when you get out into the world and you realize that no one gives a damn if you're bored or entertained. Even the people who are paid to entertain you don't really care. They're doing their gig. They're, they, yeah, they'd love for you to clap. They'd love for you to be excited. But ultimately, when it's all done, they're going to go backstage and be like, all right, sweet. Where are we going to get a drink? Or where are we going to go do later? I'm, just, I'm so tired. The hedonistic adaptation has now have me in a place where being on this stage and doing this stuff, even I'm over it at some point. I used to tell this to all my friends who wanted to turn 
their hobby of photography into a business. I'm like, you know, as soon as you start to pay your rent with that, it's going to start to feel like a job. No matter how much you love something, at some point, if you start to utilize it for income and you begin to rely upon that income, it will feel like a job. Back in the day, there was a magazine. It's still sort of around, but it's not like it used to be called Playboy. And, you know, in college, me and all the guys would be like, man, wouldn't that be amazing to be a photographer for Playboy? And I would tell them, I was like, you know what? I was like, I bet you for those people who've been doing it for 10, 15 years, even they wake up and they're just like, oh my God, I do not want to go do this today. I just want to hang out on my back patio in my hammock and drink a pina colada and not deal with, you know, the next 12 hours of being in a studio, shooting a model with all the lights. It's so hot and I'm so tired. I just want to sleep. <laughs> Hedonistic adaptation, no matter how cool and amazing you think it is, at some point you're just going to get used to it. So I covered a lot in this one, right? You know that there's 2.3 million bits of data that, that comes into your brain. You're only taking out 126. Um, I'll go into a I'll go into how you can choose a better 126 in a different episode. But for now, when you look around, like if you're like, Jesse, that doesn't make any sense. How can I possibly begin to equate that? Let's let's look at it this way. I'll, I'll wrap up the show on this. If you want a good summary of the show, just go back and listen to it again. You, you've heard me talk about, you know, create your own tribe. Ask yourself why people want you in their tribe. Understand the novelty of things this hedonistic adaptation that's going to occur where eventually you'll get tired of anything no matter how much you once wanted it. I, I've, I've covered a lot. Um, I really put a, I put my intention to set my attention to talk a little slower this time. <laughs> it's something that I definitely care about, making sure I don't just start auctioning off this entire podcast and making it so difficult that some of you can't take notes without listening to it three times. To give you an idea of what 2.3 million bits of data could possibly feel, look, and sound like to you, wherever you're at right now, really take in what you see. Are you in your bedroom? In your car? Are you at work? Are you running? Are you bicycling? Sitting in your living room on your couch? Wherever it might be, just look at everything around you. Right now, I've got a, I've got this hologram of Einstein sitting in a frame on top of one of my bookshelves in my office. I'll just take this one item. I'll even pick it up. This one item, holding it in my hands right now. 2.3 million bits of data. Let's talk about this one item. It's in a black, it's not even like a normal frame. It's almost like a shadow box frame. So there's, there's like a one-inch a lip around the entire frame, around the entire hologram, so like it's push, like so the holograms push back into it. It's black. It feels like it's plastic. On the back of it's cardboard paper, and a little hook for it to hang. There's another little sticker down there that says it was made in China. Of course, I can feel the hologram, and it's got a nice little roughness to it. There's so many different. This isn't even a hologram of like a normal Einstein. It's his face for sure, but it's like all these numbers and squiggly marks. It's just insane. There's probably 150 different symbols inside of this on top of his hologram face alone. So just alone in this picture frame, we've got black, sort of plastic. We've we've got we've got uh, we've got four corners. We've got a depth. We've got a weight. We've got the paper on the back. We've got the little hangy thing. We've got a hundred and some symbols 
over top of his face. Just this alone. Just this alone has probably 150 points of data. 150 bits. Just this thing alone. And it's one thing in my office. I got an ukulele over here. I picked that up. Every single string. What's it feel like? What's it sound like when I pluck it? There's a, there's a strap on it. There's a, there's, a, there's a note thing that makes sure that it's playing the right notes. There's a weight. There's a depth. There's a color. There's another 100 bits of data just off of ukulele. Every single thing that you can see right now, every single thing you could pick up and feel, every single thing that makes a sound makes up that 2.3 million bits of data. Everything on your body makes up that 2.3 million bits of data. From your toe to your pinky to everything. So when you ask yourself, why is it that certain things just don't seem to matter to you? Why do you delete some things and not delete others? Why do you distort some things and not distort others? Why do you generalize things and not generalize others? Every ism we have in our vocabulary is a generalization. It's just our brain trying to group things together to give some sort of organizational structure to the chaos that is life. Because it's 2.3 million bits of data a second. I'm going to go ahead and disagree that I'm going to do an entire episode on this because there's so much to, to take in from this. And why I seem to be making a real big point about this now is that coronavirus, the pandemic, it's about ready to end. You're about a month into your semester. Whatever life has looked like for the last year, I sincerely hope that we can have somewhat of an end of, of graduation in the spring that's somewhat normal. Summer, can we can start to flow back in, maybe even have events again. And hopefully by the fall, we've, we're able to you know, go back to high school football games with tons of fans in the stands and things like that. I don't know. College football games with all the fans in the stands, I don't know. But when you start asking yourself, are you, have you been generally upset with what's gone on over the last year or not? Start asking yourself, which of the 126 bits of data that are flowing at you every second you're choosing to take on? That's what I'll do the next episode on. I'll do the next episode on how you can choose the 126 bits a little bit better. Because if every single second of your day you had to think about your big toe or your pinky, you would have no energy to do anything else (laughs) or brain power. So there's a reason why the unconscious mind takes all this data in and doesn't have the conscious mind do it. Because you have other things that you need to be paying attention to. And I hope that the things that you're choosing to pay attention to moving forward are the things that we've covered in this podcast. Be yourself. Start your own tribe. Be the creator. Be a coach. Be a loving, heart-centered challenger. Release the need to be the hero. Release the desire to be the hero. Release the victim mentality. And do not, under any circumstances, fall prey to the idea that being a bully somehow makes you seem like you're more in charge or powerful. Release that. No bully has ever actually been perceived as powerful. Deep down inside, everybody knows that the reason why they act that way is because they're weak and they're afraid. So when you see somebody, whether it's in person or on TV or in social media, bullying somebody else, even if that person who's bullying happens to be saying things that you agree with toward people you don't agree with, it doesn't make it right. 
Because at some point, the person in charge who's bullying might not agree with you. And now all of a sudden, you're the one being bullied. And do you really think anyone's going to stand up for you when you didn't have the guts to stand up for them? Be thinking about that. Has all these different things are happening in our society right now. Or perhaps you're overseas, but you're having similar things. Just because your side's the one that's doing the bullying, that's making people you know, bow to their will, that just happened for four years for one side. And now it's all of a sudden happening to the other side as well. It's like, well, you had your four years of bullying us, so now it's our turn to bully you. No. Nope, 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 nope. Let's not be those people. And you can start by thinking local. How are you being loving and heart-centered in your own home? How are you seeking to understand and releasing the desire to judge, to, to prove something right or wrong? Think about that. Move forward with that energy. And we'll talk again next week. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy. Release it and your life will flow. See you again next week. Bye-bye, my friends.